Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and the man who is begging, no, pleading our defenders to jump better, higher, more, just generally more. more. Jumpy. Yeah. It's Nathan Lee Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello. I mean, I, I, but we had to delay recording for a second while I used the belt that attaches my waist to my spine. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not much of a jumper myself, so I can't critique too much. But if five foot seven Lucas Mora um, can double his own height every time he goes up for the ball, um, then 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 let's just transition him to being our jumping coach. And <laughs> now he's not playing much football for us anymore. I mean, Twitter, which is always a source of um, useful information. Um, somebody tweeted me and you, Nathan, that all you need to do is um, just practice jumping, just repeat jumping, rest, repeat, and then eventually you'll be able to to dunk a basketball. That was um, Chadwick with that bit of advice. So maybe we just need our players to jump around a bit more. I mean, they definitely do do some of that, right? They definitely <laughs> like. Uh, I've seen drills. Posterior chain stuff, and they they always like to do a little jump as they enter the field. So that's their jumping warm up. Yeah. So like I don't know, it's not like that doesn't happen at all. But um, I don't know. I I don't feel like we are um, maximizing the athletic potential <laughs> in terms of the heights that we achieve individually. But this is like this is to a level of sports science that is way out of my area, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's really difficult jumping at the at the Italian Olympics, which which is a thing. It's, it is out there. Um, I entered the um, the high jump <laughs> because you had to enter a a field event, and um, I thought I could jump, but you know I can't jump. I'm just not not designed to jump. I think my bone density is too much, and just couldn't get air. I appreciate that um, we finally won two games in the trot, and listeners want to hear about that. But can you tell me more about the Italian Olympics, please? <laughs> So 
what they would do is all the um, all the London based evening yep. Italian schools would gather together every four years, Hell you yes. know, for an Olympics, and they would have a range of Olympic events from swimming, track and field, and and football, which was you know I was there for the swimming and the football, and I I won a gold medal in the in the swimming. Uh, when I also won a gold medal in the, the football. I came last in the um, 800 meters, which was awful because back then I, I could have run. Um, but the thing is, they had to cancel it because every every four years it was getting more and more competitive, <laughs> and um, there were people turning up for the Italian Olympics who clearly weren't Italian. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> I'd never learnt a word of Italian, and they were running like 100 meters in. <laughs> They, just, they got in ringers who had like a, a an Italian great grandmother or something. <laughs> That's exactly what I hoped it would be. There were there were old people saying that oh he's from Abyssinia and stuff like that. It was mm. it was quite over the top. Much, so they had to stop it. Much like the ancient history of the Milanese football clubs, you need a uh, yeah. internationally Italian Olympics. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It got over the top, so they had to cancel it. I think it's probably, I made a comeback in recent years, but obviously I'm way, way too old now to, to do it. But it, it was good days. It was good, good thing for the Italian London-based community. Nice. Um, as, uh, as we have been for the whole of March so far, we are very proud to be partnered with Pleaties. You've heard us now speak about Pleaties for, for three episodes running. They are a clothing brand, casual wear for Spurs fans. We really, really like them. In fact, I today am full Pleaties wanker. I'm wearing my, <laughs> I'm wearing my, my Pleaties shirt. Uh, really nice designs, really unusual designs. Not the kind of usual Spurs merch you find in most outlets. Uh, do check them out. It is Pleaties.com. It's a reference to David Pleat, so the 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 website is spelt p l e a t w e s dot com. Um, they also have a Twitter account. Again, it's it's at Pleaties. Drop them a tweet, say hi, say you've come from the extra inch, and they've created a discount code especially for the extra inch listeners. This is extra twenty, and that will get you twenty percent off on their shop. They've also got some new designs coming soon, so sign up to their mailing list too. Really nice stuff, as I say, and uh, and the quality is excellent. Uh, we've got a, a message from um, Jess, who is one of our ex-subs. She's keen for us to talk about the women's team. Um, and I'm going to be completely honest, uh, we struggle a little bit to keep up with the men's team as it is at the moment. Buddy and I have full-time jobs. Uh, Nathan is making analytical videos uh, and doing research and coding now, apparently, a lot of the time. So... Uh, until we get to a point where um, where we can d- dedicate more time to the podcast, i.e., make it a full time job, uh, I don't think the, the following the women's team or covering the women's team is going to be realistic for us. Uh, but there are places that do cover the women's team in some detail, and there was a really useful response from Caroline Stefko, uh, whose Twitter handle is C G S T E F K O C G Stefko. Uh, she said that Spurs Women blog curates content about the women's team on their blog and has lots of links. And Caroline actually also has her own free newsletter called Spurs Across the Pond, which covers both the men's and women's teams. So we do get a lot of requests about um, the Spurs women's team, and um, and obviously they're fully coys, and uh, it would be nice to be able to cover them. But as I say, at the moment, the capacity isn't quite there. Um What's been going on on Patreon this week? So I, I put, I've, I've recorded a couple of really good episodes. An episode of Straight Off the Training Ground with Chris Somersell, our friend and um, football analyst. It was really nice to catch up with Chris. 
And I've also recorded with Alex Stoyle, who is a sports psychologist, someone we've had on several times before. Alex is absolutely brilliant. That will be going out to the X-Subs and then perhaps we'll release it on the main feed in a week or two's time. A really good episode. Nathan, what have you been working on? Uh, I didn't do a video last week, did I? So, uh, well, firstly, um, on the women's team, my coding stuff uh, that scrapes from the FBREF website works for uh, the WSL team as well, which is really cool. Um, Ashley Neville spurs his right back. Her statistical profile is absolutely incredible, um, <laughs> like absurd. Uh, she won um, Player of the Month last month, which is really cool. Um, uh, X-Subs, let me know if you want um, defensive set piece analysis or look at a player that is out on loan next. Ooh, I don't know what I want. <laughs> oh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I know what Antonio Conte wants. <laughs> He's got a pay though, Bardi. <laughs> he does, he does. Antonio, if you're listening, patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. You won't regret it. Um let's let's get stuck into these two games. So we've two matches, two wins since we last recorded. Uh all going swimmingly again. We'll start off with West Ham, it's freshest in the memory, and I'm sure we'll dip into Brighton. I, I would start with a lineup, but it's getting <laughs> a bit boring at this point because it's the same every time. Uh so so nothing really new to, to say there. Um, but Bardi, you, you were at this game and uh, I imagine there was a, a nice atmosphere. It was it was really nice because it's been a while since we've had a, a home game that seems to matter. And there was some kind of, you know, we like football, but it's that kind of jeopardy that's attached to football matches that really give it the edge. And sometimes you naturally get that in London derbies. But then when there's something really at stake and it's a London derby, it's, it's the extra special. And as soon as you kind of... Um, as soon as you started getting close to um, to Houston Seven Sisters, you could almost feel it. And then in the pubs and in the walk around, it it was really nice to have that jeopardy and have that kind of feeling that this game meant something again. Whereas a lot of the time, a lot of the time, our games have just meant nothing because there was nothing riding on it. There was no kind of there was no big achievement waiting. But this was a must win game. We had to win this to stay in the hunt for top top four, and it really did add something special. And there was um, a real nice atmosphere in the crowd, and there was yeah, it, it was one of the best games I've seen for a while. I mean, the Man City game right at the start of the season. And that was kind of like a protest against Man City and against our striker going on, on strike. But this game was this game was a collective kind of push towards um, Antonio Conte towards the team. And, it, and it's kind of weird when you spend the week building up to the game and you see a lot of dissenting voices across social media, like not liking Antonio Conte or the direction the club is going in. And then you turn up at the ground and you feel that it's it was it was an extra spe- extra special um, atmosphere and feeling for sure. Nice, and I think um, I think the players made it a pretty calm occasion, to be honest. I would say there was a, a period, um, it, it got to about 60 minutes, and I did have a thought to myself, oh, I don't think I can cope with this being 2-1 for the next half an hour. It's going to be way too stressful. It was tough. And then, <laughs> it was tough. But, but, but really, Spurs then did go ahead and kill it off quite nicely, and it felt like we... F- to, to my eyes, I felt from the beginning of the game that we had really nice control over this one. You know, we were we were picking West Ham off quite easily. Uh, obviously, they played extra time on the Thursday night. They were they were tired. I watched the I watched the extra time actually. I wanted to I wanted to see them suffer. I wanted to know just how tired they were going to be. 
And uh, in that extra time, they did look knackered. Antonio in particular, you know, he was still going for sprints and things, but he was blowing big time, as was Suchek. Uh, Rice didn't seem phased, to be honest. He's a robot. He's a ridiculous athlete. Um, he's, he seemed to cope fine. But it was obvious come Sunday that West Ham weren't themselves. Uh, but the thing is, Moyes' West Ham are normally really good at just kind of hunkering in and stopping the balls going through the middle of the pitch. Yep. And, and they didn't do that. We, we were able to play out really effectively from the back and then get the ball into Kane's feet. And then, you know, once Kane's got it at his feet and he's turning... You've got Son making his incredible movement off the shoulder and you've got Kulusevski doing the same and Regalon and Dotti offering options too. I-, I thought we were really, really good. I thought this was probably, in my view, actually probably the best the best sort of um, projection of Antonio Conte's methods so far. Wow. Wow. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Uh, so, so West Ham, um, David Moyes has come into the club and he's done what he does, which is he's made them... Like solid defensively, um, good on the counter. Um, f- for whatever reason, whatever part he plays in it, um, recruitment has been outstanding while David Moyes has been at the club, as it was for a long time at Everton, and now there are shambles. Um, so, so whether he should actually be their extra football or not is a is a is a is a topic for discussion. Um, and they got a bunch of really good results over the last couple of years. And so now they think that they can play football. Um, they tried to, so, so like previously we talked about like Everton, the, the best team to play if you're Antonio Conte, because, um, they want to press. They're going to try to press, but they're not actually good at it. The second best thing is a team who want to have the ball, want to build out from the back, want to possess and push up, but aren't actually very good at it. And that is what West Ham were. But even with that, we didn't just go, okay, well then we'll beat you on the counter attack and just play them on the break the whole time. We also had our own spells of settled possession um which we we've been desperate for and which have looked which have been a, a, an issue for us recently um so we we sort of defeat them tactically the best way to approach them and we also took our own game to them as well which so a, a really good rounded performance in that sense yeah there was never really any real jeopardy in the game other than when they got a set piece and that's we had it under control for most of the time. I think I think had Spurs not even pushed for the third and just passed it around the back for the final fifteen minutes, we probably could have got away with it because they just weren't yeah. they weren't pressing us. There was a corner at two one which bounced around a bit and then Hugo came and got it and you could feel the relief drop in the crowd. It was just like, Okay, we've got through that and then soon after that Sun scored the third and and it was all over. West West Ham they didn't really have much. They didn't really offer anything other than the kind of fear of a set piece, which I think is perhaps something that we've just almost built into ourselves rather than rather than the players. I, I was very disappointed in them. I was disappointed in Rice, disappointed in Suchek. Um, yeah, they, they just didn't seem to be very good. I can kind of see why they're floating around fifth, sixth, just because they don't really mess up that often and they can punish t- certain teams via set pieces. But yeah, they're not they're not very good. To be fair though, Bardi, that was us under Pochettino when we played in midweek. You know, I remember so many matches where we flattered to deceive the weekend after a, a match in the European competitions. True. I mean, they 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 are genuinely are a, a nuisance. Um, European competitions, if you if you're not fully committed to them, yeah, you yeah. have to prepare for two games. Plus, it's the sort of physical burden, isn't it? It's, you know, especially when it's been extra time. So I don't I don't think it was sort of a um a necessarily a fair reflection of West Ham. Plus, they were missing Bowen, who after Rice is their best player. Um. 
but yeah, we we dismantled them absolutely, comprehensively dismantled them. I thought it was it was lovely to see the away section empty on eighty seven minutes. They just went home. That was really nice to see. They just they did ain't that. Sometimes you think a team like West Ham. I mean, they they are a small club who are pretty rubbish, and they should be kind of grateful for where they are. As Harry Redknapp, Harry Redknapp would say, you should be grateful for where you are. But they all disappeared home. Lovely stuff. I mean, I was really, really, really impressed with our central midfield players. I thought Ben Sankor and Hjoibier both had superb matches. Um, and look, they didn't have to do a lot of defending, let's be honest. But what they did do was have lots of the ball and play lots of incisive passes, often first time. They were also um, on hand to sort of pick up the the bounce passes and then play first time into Kane's feet, just offering themselves constantly, working in tandem well, covering one another. When one went to press, the other sat in. I feel like that relationship is growing game by game. In fact, I thought Ben Tanko had a really strong second half against Brighton as well. Mm. So uh, very impressed, very, very impressed. The, the little, little run he had where he um, he sort of looked like he dallied on the board a little bit just outside his own box and then suddenly beat two players. It was like, holy shit. Okay, I've not seen someone do that since Dembele. I mean, I also want to just give a shout out to Kulusevski. I know everybody's talking oh, about him amazing. at the moment, but he is, he is brilliant. He, he reminds me of a slightly slower De Bruyne, not just in the way he looks, but in the way he plays, his yeah. touch and everything else. Um, he, he's a wonderful player. And it just, it's a madness that we've got him. It's crazy. You look at him play and you just don't think, how did Juventus let him go? It's, it's just a crazy thing. Yeah, he's a ridiculous talent and he's so young as well. It's absurd yeah. at like how good he is for how young he is. They didn't just let him go, they cheered them away. Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. Yeah. They actually were, were celebrating the fact that they got him off their books. And it, it's, and watching them get dumped out of Europe was a lovely thing. <laughs> and I, I have no love for Max Allegri. So I'm kind of enjoying this, this stale Juventus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, uh, if Locatelli or Delict are <laughs> looking for fun places to come. Yeah. And you know, and Juventus are so stupid. They their fans would probably cheer them out as well. <laughs> yeah. But then maybe there's um, Leon fans and Villarreal fans going. Look at Spurs fans. They were sure. cheering. 100%. They were cheering. Yeah. Um, losing two of their players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Negative dialectic says it felt like West Ham defenders cut out quite a few of Kane's passes from deep today. Was that tactics or just Kane having a slightly off day with the long passes? What do you think, Nathan? Uh, I mean, it's feasible that Kane is going to have an off day with the long passes sometimes. But I think that um, like, you can imagine David Moyes doing a lot of preparation around this is the way that... that this, these are the behaviours of Harry Kane and this is what mm. the threat is and this is what we need to prepare for. And yeah, they cut out a bunch of them and they also failed to cut out another bunch of them because what mm. they didn't really do was prevent the passing to Kane. Right, mm-hmm. and I just think that like preparing for what happens after Kane receives the ball is like... Yeah. Um, the horse has already bolted. Yeah, the, the yeah. There's a there's a, a significant amount of bolting has already been achieved at that yes. at that point. You know, so yeah, they 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 sort of were somewhat well prepared um, for Sun running in behind, but there's an extent to which Sun's really fast, <laughs> and Kane's gonna weight it very well a lot of the time. I did think on occasion Kane went a bit too Hollywood too often. He's almost. He is an, a magical player and a magical passer, but he does has started to believe his own hype. And he's trying to pull off Hollywood passes when the simple pass out wide was was the correct one. 
So I would like to see him get back to a little bit to back to basics. There's one of those um, Netflix documentaries, Losers, where this guy had an incredible round at the golf at the French Open, I think. And he believed in himself so much that when he arrived at the 18th or something, someone's going to say, no, this is totally wrong. But he arrived at the 18th, the hole, and instead of just going for a simple layup, he went for like the magical shot and he ended up losing the whole title for that. And I do sometimes feel that Kane is already thinking about what Sky are going to say about his passing <laughs> range. Rather, rather than just flicking it out wide to die to. I'm interested to talk about the performance of the wingbacks. Mm. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a discourse that some, some of the ex subs are a little bit sick of, <laughs> um, particularly on on the Regalon front, because it has been uh, a popular topic in the Discord. Uh, but Ollie Whitefoot says. Would you guys cash in on Regulon rumours of a 40 million sale? For me, seeing Kulisevsky come in, there's such an upgrade on Lucas, whose main asset is pace. I think we can definitely do the same with Regulon with someone like Sosa, slower but with better ball progression. Mm. I mean, yeah, I I really thought we had, um, like, struck gold with Regulon. I was so impressed with us landing him. Um, I really rated him as one of the best left backs in the world. And he's certainly not he, been he, bad. He, he might still be. Yeah. Left back. Um, <clears throat> I just feel like okay, he played for Tottenham in the Tottenham or very bad era, which is going to make a defender look bad. And now he's playing a wing back, and maybe that's not the maximum use of his abilities. But I just still thought he would be generally better through both of those phrases, regardless. I guess he probably looked best under Nuno <laughs> when, yeah. when we needed him yeah. to sort of do all of our ball progression for us. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's he's he's. He, he's definitely a good player. Um, he's just not quite, not quite grasping the wing back role like I, like I assumed he would. Um, so, I mean, I'm definitely not looking to ship him out. But if if Real Madrid um, activate his buyback clause, I'm not devastated either. You know, I'm kind of the same. I I think we could probably do better, but I'm willing to give him um, this season to learn his role, to learn the position. And if you've still got him next season, him and Sessegnon can can switch in and switch out. I don't think it's that big a deal. I think right wing back is probably more important. So I'd rather keep Reggie on and, and focus on right wing back instead. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I feel too. I think um, I, I think he will improve with time in in Conte's system, uh, and I think Sessegnon is already showing you know big signs of improvement and with him it's you can tell it's confidence his confidence was coming back and then unfortunately he got injured again which is his his major issue um but i do think that since since Sessignon came out there's been a drop off on that side you know regulon's had covid as well which could have an impact sure. um and i i do really like regulon uh, i i would not be unhappy if we had regulon and Sessignon as our left wing back options next season having said that is a little bit tiresome to see Regulon with his head in his hands in the box after yet another mm. fairly tame effort on goal. And uh, you get the impression that Kane, Kane is probably feeling quite frustrated as well since he's provided most of them. I mean, um, I'm not too down on that. I'm not too down on our left-back missing chances because it's going to happen. But what I'm happy about is the, the the way he continues to get in those positions. And I think um, I think if he continues to arrive in those positions, he's young enough, he's smart enough, he's got a nice enough personality and an attitude towards football. I think the goals will come for him. And that, that for me is a positive thing. He He's arriving in the right place at the right time and doing the right things. It, it just needs to click for him. Mm. I mean, yeah. I don't... I, I, I meant before we recorded to go and have a look at 
the the goal scoring prowess of previous um, Antonio Conte wing backs is just to see kind of on an average how many should we expect him to score per season. And I, I didn't do the homework, but um, I think if he's how many he's got this season already two. I think if he finishes the season on five, I think that's a really good return. Yeah, five five would be outstanding. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think he's fine. But if if Real Madrid activate that buyback, we're getting a good, we're getting a good price for him, and we can go and get a really, really good replacement. And I don't think we need to worry too much. On the other side, what was it like um, experiencing Matt Doherty in the flesh, Bardi? <laughs> <laughs> he's very strange he's because he's not your normal wing back. He does tend to um, step inside quite a lot and yeah. Kulusevski goes out wide a bit more so he's almost like an inverted wing back on the on the right so he, he almost occasionally it's like he's a midfielder he's one of the three in midfield um, and he's fine he's definitely improved because there was a point last early in the season where he was a mess mentally physically in terms of where he was standing and how he was receiving the ball. But now he's able to work it out of tight spaces. He's able to deliver decent passes, make some good tackles. And it's amazing to see that transformation. And, and Doherty's rubbish and Reguillon's really good. So I have faith that Reguillon is starting at such a high level that he can uh, he can be good again and he can be great. Uh, ben uh, at Comrades you Spurs made the point on Twitter that like um, it's frustrating that Matt Doherty is our best wing back. Um, but also, we're pretty good, despite the fact that Matt Doherty is our, is our best <laughs> wing back at the moment, and it and it shows like the the room for upside, feasible upside that mm-hmm. is there for us. Well, well, this is the thing, Nathan. I think um, if teams do do their homework and stop the ball into Kane, then our outlet is our wing backs. And if we're reliant on our wing backs for progression and opportunity creation, then I think it might be a bit of a problem. But because at the moment we're managing to find Kane so often, we're negating that. It's really not, you know, basically the the wing backs when they receive the ball are receiving it in positions where they can be effective, uh, which is, you know, hugely helpful. Uh, and I think they're both doing about right, you know, kind of fine at that. If, if we can improve, if we can get a really good right wing back in over the summer, then, you know, the, the additional threat that will give us as a side is really, really exciting. Particularly with Romero on that side as well, because, you know, he progresses the ball fantastically. He's so, so good in possession. I want to say, again... Just how good I think Romero is. Yeah. I, I I did a I did a um a few tweets about Romero, and I've I've seen a lot on Twitter where people aren't really rating him that much. No Jack way. Pitbrook wrote, yeah, I know it's mad. Jack Pitbrook wrote an article. Um, I don't subscribe to the Athletic, so I've not had a chance to read it. But I can't. The, the gist of it was that he's very good. You know, Jack was saying on Twitter that he doesn't recall a centre back like Romero ever. He's one of the most exciting centre backs he's ever seen. And people sort of seemed quite dismissive of that. I fully agree with Jack. I don't, I've never seen a centre back this good in possession in terms of carrying the ball as comfortably as he does. He just glides with and without the ball. He seems to have as much time as he wants in possession. He can wait until the last minute and always find a, a pass. He's never hurried. And don't get me wrong, there are a couple of flaws in his game, uh, particularly his um, set piece defending. He's not a perfect defender, but what he offers is. It's unbelievable. The upgrade in our backline when he's playing is unbelievable. He's such a star. He's he's joyful to watch in the flesh. The way he just gallops around the pitch and just goes after the ball and majority of the time wins it. I mean, Antonio is an absolute like specimen of a striker who bullies a lot of the Premier League and and Romero had him mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. There was there was moments the ball was going into uh, Antonio and 
rather than worrying about the ball, he was already thinking about where's Romero going to come and get me. And yeah, it's brilliant. And there was a moment, I mean, as with everything in social media, these bits get clipped up and overplayed. But the part in the, um, the second half where he was boxed in in his own corner flag and he managed to work it out of there. I mean, I, I don't know what Davinson Sanchez would have done there. He would have oh, fallen yeah. over or kicked the corner flag or something. But Romero, is he's, he is just a class apart. And I don't think I've seen a... Well, I have never seen a centre-back like him play for Tottenham before. Mm. And the way he he just kind of moves into centre midfield to pick up the ball and his recovery pace and his slide tackling, he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant defender. I haven't seen a centre-back like that play for Tottenham before, but I have seen uh, Sergio Ramos at Real Madrid being maybe the best mm. centre-back in the world. Um, a super aggressive defender, incredible on the ball, and then getting up into the box to be a target at the end of moves. Yeah, I, I think I think it's kind of like how how do you like your centre backs? Do you like them big and aggressive or or calm and silky? If you're, I think Sergio Ramos is a good example and a good comparison to um, to Romero. I like mine a bit more classy, like Nesta, <laughs> but um, and Maldini. But yeah, Romero he could be on that level, same as Sergio Ramos. And again, Eric Dyer is just in outstanding form, just barely putting a foot wrong like he has been all season. I really think he's player of the season for Spurs so far. Mr. Consistent, completely reliable, really sensible use of the ball, organising. He's been fantastic. I think so. I mean, I, I never thought I would ponder Eric Dyer to be player of the season, but he has helped. Romero does make his life a lot easier. For and sure. that kind of that middle role does help certain defenders out out a bit. But he does get, he does add a lot to our game, and he yeah he's he's improved massively. He's much better in a three than he is in a, a two. He really deserved the England call up. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I think. Um... Uh, like he's in better form now than he was when he was called up for England before you can say mm-hmm. but I also don't think that a, a, an England squad an, or an international squad is just picked based on, on current form there's more complexity to that I think that um, Tomori was more desperately needed in the England squad in terms of profile um, but then the players that were called up um, <laughs> you know but I'm, I'm not too worried I'm not too like offended on, on his behalf I think that he can just enjoy um, so like the the playing in the three versus playing in two I think um, like he played in a three before uh, mm. when he played on the right side of the three um, where Alderweireld was central and Vuitton was left and he looked kind of rough at times in that role certainly the weakest of those three but then that's kind of a given um, but that central role where all of the players in front of him he doesn't have to do much turning I guess <laughs> um yeah i mean that really when he when he can see the whole pitch ahead of him mm. um i think his passing is is really quite fantastic and and his defending too to be honest it is a joy to behold let's uh touch on brighton pretty routine to be honest um no surprises again with the lineup uh, perhaps a slight surprise with Brighton's lineup and formation, I would say. Uh, they played a 4-2-3-1 that actually became a back three and build up with Veltman becoming a centre-back and Cucurella sort of pushed up on the left-hand side. Um, they didn't really cause us too many problems on the whole. I mean, any any opportunity Antonio gets to put um, Graham Potter in the mud, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> it makes makes me smile. I missed the game. It was my birthday and I was out for my birthday dinner, so I I missed it. But uh, I've, I've watched the highlights back. It looked pretty comfortable. Yeah, it was really. I mean, look, um, when we had a hard time against Southampton and Wolves and Burnley, we said, 
they played really well that game, I have to say. Also, West Ham and Brighton was pretty bad. And like we've exposed that badness well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't think either of those teams brought very much um, to the game, to be honest, other than set pieces, both of them. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Kane missed a chance, which you would say is fairly routine for him in in normal circumstances. Uh, oh, I wonder of... if he's still underperforming his expected goals. Let me have a look. I mean, he he probably could have taken a touch and then finished it. It was he did yeah. kind of stretch at it, and it was a bit off balance. But it, it was a, it was a very strange miss. Uh, I thought on his goal, uh, so Bentancur carried the ball forward really nicely, and then I thought he'd overhit his pass quite significantly, and Sanchez was just going to mop it up, but mm. Sanchez. Stayed in his line. Inexplicably stayed in his line. I, I kind of. I've always thought Sanchez was quite good, but he looked awful in this in this game. He's um, he looked a bit dodgy when we played them in the FA Cup as well. I think he him like the rest of Brighton are going through a little bit of a funk at the moment. Mm. He's, yeah, fair. He's three goals yeah. under expected goals this season. When every season in his career he's been over by like one <laughs> at the least. He's That's twenty bad. goals over expected goals throughout his career but he's he's three under nearly this season that's crazy he's, so he's, he should have scored three more then yeah he should have had three more okay. goals well uh, an uh, an average centre forward um, has three more goals you expect Harry Kane to have five more goals Ten. basically yeah that's kind of I mean that's wild I mean he's he's like historically one of the greatest finishers in the sport and he's in a sincere finishing slump this season um Throw out everything I've said this season, and just it's just a matter of Kane's been unlucky. Variance, <laughs> end point. Mm. <laughs> he did miss uh, he missed an opportunity against West Ham, which I thought he was he was just going to flick in. Which is yeah, yeah, yeah. They are they are starting to appear, but you know it's, we forgive that free assist. We forgive it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was amusing that uh, we won a free kick, and Kane was immediately arguing with Eric Dyer over <sighs> who took the free kick, <laughs> and it's like. How Who many does Kane? Kane. Oh. Did he take it well, Mindy? No, he did not take it well. <laughs> of course he didn't take it well. And we've seen Eric Dyer hit some really nice free kicks recently and be a lot closer to scoring than Harry Kane. And it, it just sort of makes you wonder what he's got to do to not have the first free kick. Not be Harry Kane. Mm. Yeah. Mean, I'm kind of, I know Kane is rubbish at free kicks, but I'm, I'm still not totally against Kane taking free kicks if, if that makes sense because he is the best striker of the ball in our club and eventually it's going to work for him no <laughs> he's so precise that eventually they're going to start to go in scoring free kicks is not a science it's not easy I mean we, we remember the greatest at it because they were clearly the greatest and everyone else was just rubbish um, so I'm not against it but I, I'm not sure it Dyer's, I mean your, your compliment on Dyer that he gets a little bit closer it's not like Dyer's putting them in either Dyer's put me in a better rate for sure. Um, yeah, I, I I find it frustrating at the time, um, but yeah. sort of uh, a few days later, the cold analysis is that like, yeah, free free kicks aren't scored at a great rate anyway. Uh, Ericsson was a statistically incredible free kick uh, scorer and also went like three or four years without scoring one. Mm. It's kind of how it goes. The, the samples at play here make everything very muddy. Mm. Um, and yeah, I also think you're right when you say like Eric Dyer like troubles the keeper, right? He gets them on target, but then being on target and therefore savable 
um, at a slower pace, uh, gentler curve, all those kind of things don't necessarily mean they're more likely to be scored than Kane absolutely powering one that happens to get enough dip on it this time. Um, so that, but <laughs> it feels better. <laughs> it feels a lot better when Eric Dyer sort of appears to nearly score. Um, I don't know. I think you're, I think you're underplaying Dyer's quality from free kicks a little because he has a, he has a nice variety of strikes on him as well. Mm. Like he, he can just do the sort of in-step curler, but he also can take the knuckleball and he can, you know, get, put some swerve on them. Okay. Um, I, think- I, I, I think Dyer, it, I really think that Dyer will score a free kick if he gets them all between now and the end of the season. So no. Whereas with Kane, there's no way he will. In my mind, Kane has uh, one goal that was very strongly deflected in about yeah. sixty free kicks. Yeah. Um. So I I understand definitely the frustration. Obviously, there's there's a degree to which it's like it's it's Harry Kane tax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Fine. Do you know you know what you're doing, Windy? Right now, you're one of those people that prefer a corner that's just kind of chipped in <laughs> at the back post that the goalkeeper comes and gets, rather than a corner that's get that gets cleared at the near post, which has come in on a flat, sharp delivery. That's who you are right now. No, but you're making out that Kane hits them with this immaculate swaz every time and is sort of narrowly missing. But the reality is he's smashing him into the wall nine times out of yeah, ten. I reckon I, I, could have, I could have saved. Maybe only the Guaita one at Palace last season. I think that's the only one of Dyer's free kicks I couldn't have saved. Okay, here's, here's the plan, right? Uh, Eric Dyer is going to take them, but what he's going to do is he's going to gently roll them sideways so that they're a live ball, and then Harry Kane yeah. is going to have a, a live ball shot from distance that, that he's much better at, and, and Dyer like gets some assists as the trade. I'd like to see that, some variety on it, reposition it, make Kane hit across it, um, yeah, something like that, rather than this just kind of either a little chip over the wall or a smack into Rosette. While we're talking about Eric Dyer... Um... I did not like to see blood pouring from his face, but I did like to see him in a hairband, <laughs> in a headband rather. He uh, he looks pretty badass in a in a headband, it's, even more um, so than usual. It's one of those things. It does make a player look really cool, doesn't it? <laughs> those of a certain age remember like Terry Butcher, yeah. Um, and then I'm, I'm sure there's some more less glamorous ones. I remember um, Koku, um, the the Italian fullback, when we got knocked out to Korea, wearing one that looked like a a big white condom on his head. That just didn't make him look rugged. It just made him look silly. <laughs> Stuart Pearce never seemed to be out of a head headband, to be honest. Yeah, uh, we probably should touch on Sonny as well. He's had a bit of a rough time recently, but. Um, I think one thing you always get from Son is absolutely incredible movement. And against West Ham, his movement was immaculate. And this time, he finished off a couple of chances. What did, I agree. You, what, what did the um, the sort of the left foot one look like in the ground body? Did, did you realise it took a deflection? The no, no. I thought I'd seen one of the greatest finishes for <laughs> for, for, for for a while. And I remember going to the the stranger next to me. We were both going wow because all we saw was like a a flurry of stepovers and then whoosh into the top corner it was only when they showed the replay you're like ah but then everybody cheered again because they realized it came off um zuma Zuma. who um there there was some very i don't know if it was picked up on the tv but (laughs) the the meowing was the oh i didn't hear the meowing no it's bizarre there's like full-grown men dotted around the stadium doing really loud meows and it it just it made me feel really uncomfortable was who was the guy on celebrity big brother that did the meowing george galloway george galloway what creep it it was really creepy seeing grown men meow, but that was happening all over. And there was also the inflatable cats. Did you mm. was that shown? Yeah. And yeah. Um, when when Sun scored the the third goal, an inflatable cat landed on my on my lap, 
And I've been I've been wanting one all game to take a photo with it, but I just got so carried away with it, I just immediately just threw it back in the air, and I, it was lost forever. But um, yeah, so getting back to Sun, it was um, no, we didn't realize it had taken deflection, and I didn't realize the one way hit the post had actually hit the post. I thought he just slipped over and and totally missed it. I'm really pleased for him though because. He is such an integral part of the team and seeing him in the form he'd been in, sort of not having much luck in front of goal, you just feel for him, you just want one to go in and then you know more will, will, more will come. And the post-match interview where he said that he really wanted Harry to score as well, was just mm-hmm. so typical son, he's just such a nice teammate. He just remains a threat to everybody. Yeah, um, for sure. You can't relax on him, you can't, no team can just go He's having a bad day. We don't need to worry so much about him. They, every, he keeps every defence on edge. Mm. And um, he's kind of like Kane. If he keeps getting chances, he's going to score the goals. And even now, apparently, he's in a bit of a funk, which I don't. I think has been overplayed a little bit. He's still, he's still a fantastic striker. Yeah, I mean, I, I read earlier that he's actually scored only two fewer non-penalty goals than Mohamed Salah wow. this season. Wow. I mean, it just speaks volumes to the levels of quality that Son has, the consistency. But even when he's playing supposedly bad, he's still delivering mm. consistently. What a player. I love watching him. J.A. Robbins and Cambler ask, can Romero avoid getting two yellow cards in our next three games to avoid a two-match suspension? He managed it against West Ham just. I mean, it's quite Mm. the ask. (laughs) It's going to be close, I think. (laughs) Probably not. I I wonder how aware Conte is of this, to the point where if we go ahead... We time it. Take him off. Yeah. Well, um, wait, what's our run? Um... I think we, I think we try to get, um, get a deliberate. Oh, is he, is he too shy? So he must have eight, right? Okay. Oh, that's it's ten, isn't it, for a suspension mm, now? Yeah. Okay. I think. Uh, I yeah, he's on. He's on eight yellows. I don't think Conte makes a, makes a change pre-game. I don't think he kind of rests him for the Brighton at home game. Like I, I see him playing one hundred percent against Newcastle and against against Villa. And I don't think Conte will make a decision on something on a theoretical thing that hasn't happened yet, rather than try and affect something that's happening right now. I think if we get to maybe sixty minutes against Brighton or we're clear against Newcastle or Aston Villa, then maybe he might take him off. But I, I don't, I don't foresee him him making a decision based on something that might happen or might not happen i yeah i'm i'm thinking i'm thinking get your 10th yellow against brighton and mr brentford game and then be fresh <laughs> for for leicester liverpool and then the final couple of games Burnley in orange you're, you're thinking do it strategically yeah i'm thinking get one <laughs> yeah either against newcastle or villa i mean really we we, we want uh yeah yeah and then and then see out the suspension against against Brentford, and then I don't know. It's tough. <laughs> so, that's, that's... so he needs to avoid two in his next three. But if he's got eight yellow cards so far, we've played twenty nine games. That's a yellow card every three and a half games. He missed a few games. He's missed a lot. Sure, that's. A I good don't know. Point. I don't know what his yellows per ninety. That's <laughs> shit. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Um... If we're clear against Newcastle, he comes off. Same with Villa, and then we'll be all right. I hope so. We, we're not the same without him, that's for sure. No. Uh, Nathan, one for you from Jamie T. Is the passive defending when the ball is in the middle third and we're in defensive shape part of Conte's teams all the time? It makes Jamie nervous when it happens. Yeah. Um, what was the... There was a continuation of that... Um... 
conversation. Let me try and find it. So he, I, so I, I answered yes, it is, and then he says, um, "Is it okay for it to be like that, and why?" Um, I presume yes, because Conte teams are very successful. I feel like I need reassuring. I feel like teams such as Liverpool are really good at creating counterattacks from pressing in their own half, and we prefer to force the opposition into a mistake. So yes, um, it's it's very much a Conte thing. Um, and I understand the nervousness. I think part of the nervousness is that we went through a six-month period where we defended consistently like that uh, for about 45 minutes whilst one go up under Mourinho and we would inevitably concede and things aren't quite so bad um, here. Um, I don't know. I think <laughs> I kind of feel like the um, the defensive resilience of Conte teams is a little overplayed. Um and that there are again, as we saw like, under Mourinho. Um, even if you think like the the Conte's deep block is better than Mourinho's deep block, or whatever, um, if you invite that much pressure onto yourself um, for an extended period of time, eventually a team are going to work out where the holes are or 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 create them by dragging you about. Right. Um, the difference, the main and the most important difference, is that um, Conte's teams are possibly uniquely brilliant at attacking on the counter right creating um the combinations uh pre-planned combinations to um make the most out of that situation and, and attack the space in behind um which achieves two things <laughs> one being your your potentially scoring goals right to increase the the, the goal differential in your favor but it's also just breaking up the um, sort of continuous spells of position and the momentum that the opposition can build. Um, and I guess the third thing, which is sort of tangential to the second one, is that like um, the opposition are sort of mentally more aware of that and having to be a bit more tentative because of that threat that's being offered the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, don't be too scared of us being of us being passive because there are significant upsides with the um, pattern-based counterattacks that we have. Um, but also, yes, there are weaknesses to it. Eventually, it's going to concede. Eventually, any setup is going to concede, right? Um, it's not perfect. So there's no there's no perfect defensive setup at all. Um, I think, like, whenever we get to, like, um, looking at, and 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 some of this is reasonable whenever we're like this is the shape that we're covering when we use this formation and then this player he's pushed out and he's left the space there and then we don't do this etc it's like yes all of those things are valid and, and, and true and and worthwhile looking at the details of but to an extent um <laughs> we're gonna concede goals from having 11 players behind the ball sometimes or we don't have 11 we always keep Kane and sometimes one other um away from the from the um uh, once the ball progresses beyond him, he remains out of the defensive play, right? Um, but yeah, uh, it, it <laughs> the, the opposition having the ball in our half for an extended period of time is a threat on both goals, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, that's how I felt. And I think that's what the majority of the crowd felt as well, that when West Ham had the ball, it was when we were at our most dangerous. And um, yeah, so it's, quite, it's sometimes quite nice to invite the team on. And then, we, like Nathan said, we know we can counter on them. And when I mentioned earlier about this being the best sort of image of Conte's tactical plan, there's a couple of elements to that. Um, firstly, the way we're moving the ball vertically through the midfield, I think is better than it's ever been so far. And I think it will carry on getting better. Uh, so, you know, Kane receiving the ball to feet, 
or Son or Kulisevsky receiving the ball to feet, laying off and then another ball forward to, to get beyond the defence. Really, really impressive. But also the way we're now really efficiently moving the ball from one side to the other. You know, you work it out to one wing back, but the idea is then to find the other wing back in space. So you get it back across the pitch in the fewest number of passes. We're able to miss out one player now because we're we know exactly what we're doing and you'll notice if you if you watch these sort of players off the ball they're quite often pointing where the ball will go next and like several of them are sometimes pointing to the same place at the same time because they understand the system so well which I think is a really good sign that that things are moving in the right direction Uh, and obviously we've got an international break now so there's more time for Conte to work on tactics on the training ground hammer home exactly what he's trying to achieve Obviously, some players are away, including Romero, annoyingly, you know, even though he's supposedly suspended for Argentina, he's travelled. Let's hope he comes through unscathed. Uh, But yeah, I think this is an opportunity to to embed it even more. And I'm very excited about that. Uh, Before we wrap up, just one more mention for our partners, Pleatis, P-L-E-A-T-E-S, Pleatis.com. Use the discount code EXTRA20, which will get you 20% off. And next week, we'll be back answering your questions. We've got loads of questions that people have sent in over the past few weeks. We'll, we'll rattle through those in the international break. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, The Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.